um, sometimes all of it was was being preached and taught, and and at the time of the message, we're we're listening, we're getting it, but then a few hours later, because we've had so much disjointed, uh, non-coherent truth, um, even though, I'm, and I know when I say that, you're going to say, well, all of it connects together. It does, and it all does connect together. But you understand what I'm saying, different subjects, different lines of thinking on, on some things. And so I've tried to in the last uh, couple months, and I, I've done some more so here in the last three or four weeks especially, to try to keep a coherency throughout the day so that it's a continuation or building upon the foundations of the previous messages. So it, by the end of the day, you've got one, one thought of, of things that we're dealing with. Uh, and I, I, I'm asking if... Uh, you would give some input to that in the next few weeks or months if that has been helpful or not uh, as far as retaining. Because uh, I, 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 so much I want us to retain what we get and not just come and, and, boy, that was a good service, and then by Monday afternoon we have no idea what pastor preached on. It's sad when you ask me on Wednesday something about a message on Sunday, I'll be like, I can't remember which one did I preach. <laughs> so, so it helps to keep it coherent. And so, uh, yes, we've been the last several weeks... We do a book in Sunday school and then usually a message from that book for the 11 o'clock hour and then trying to bring some practical helps um, in the line in the in the afternoon service from that same book and trying to bring a cohesiveness to the teaching, uh, building line upon line sort of a, a teaching and preaching time. It's not to say I won't ever go the other direction with it because there will be some Sundays I'm sure that there will just need to be a message we need to bring. Um, but I've tried to do that to try to be helpful to you and understanding and keeping this thought in mind. So I hope it is a help to you to do it this way. Um, plus, it's interesting because when we, when we start to preach, having done an overview of it in Sunday school, it helps us to see the truth of it maybe even a little more clearly, understanding what's going on and what's taking place. <clears throat> so I want to take a moment this afternoon... Uh, there's no doubt we're involved in spiritual warfare. Paul, in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, if you take a moment to look with me there. Chapter 2 and verse number 1, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then he uses an illustration of warfare. And he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Uh, Paul had previously written to the church at Ephesus that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of wickedness and high places, and that we were to put on the whole armor of God, that we can withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And he goes through the whole armor of the Christian life. And there's no doubt that you and I are involved in spiritual warfare each and every day. And I want to give you uh, nine things uh, that Paul addresses Timothy in in this short letter. Um, I, I was uh, giving some thought to this as I came to chapter 2 this morning. And the idea that really Paul is kind of creating a manual for Timothy. He's, he's kind of writing this in a lot of, uh, I'm charging you, I'm, I'm giving you, this is what you need to be doing. And just one thing after another. He gives us nine specific things that he charges Timothy uh, in this letter. It's his last letter to Timothy. He knows his time is short. He knows that Timothy has struggled uh, in the past. In fact, um, in 1 Timothy chapter number 5 
And verse number 23, he refers to the fact that Timothy was a sickly fellow, that he had physical maladies and some issues where uh, there was some, some sickliness in him. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, we kind of get the idea that since Paul is charging him um, that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, that he's doing this for Timothy's benefit, that maybe Timothy was a very timid type of a person. There's other passages where Paul instructs Timothy and kind of gives him a charge to be strong, to be, uh, be uh, in the face of adversity. It gives you the idea that Timothy may have struggled with the idea of being timid. I'll be real frank with you. Uh, your pastor does. And I think a lot of people in, that grow up uh, in this day and age suffer with tim- uh, the timidity and the, the uh, uh, kind of being uh, uh, introvertish. Uh, and Timothy was no different. Uh, Paul is constantly trying to, to get Timothy to, to stir some things up, to get more involved and to not be as timid as he is. Um, and so he, he gives that reference. In First Timothy chapter 4, he refers to Timothy as uh, being susceptible to people despising his youthfulness in teaching. And uh, again, probably speaking somewhat to Timothy's timidity, that he's allowing these people to, uh, I hate to use the word bully him, but, but really in essence to kind of come and pressure him and to give him a hard time about him trying to preach authoritatively at his youthfulness uh, being an issue. Uh, he did consider him to be a gifted teacher. He considered him to be trustworthy. He considered him to be diligent and a faithful co-laborer, and so Paul invested a lot in Timothy. And as he gets to this letter, he's writing this letter as kind of the last, Timothy, these are the last things I'm I'm going to be able to help you with and and instruct you with. And he gives him at least nine things uh, that are in here, and you may find more, uh, but there are at least nine charges that he gives to Timothy uh, regarding this idea of, of spiritual warfare. And so I want us to take a few moments to take a look at these, and all of them, I will say, are applicable to you and I in the day that we live and the importance that, uh, that we ought to be placing on these in the day that we live. Uh, first of all, he begins in chapter 1, and I'm going to look in verse number uh, 5, and we're going to read verse 5 and five down through 7. He says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, Timothy, you have faith that is an unfeigned faith. It's a genuine faith. He says, I need you to stir that faith up. And he uses a, a, a verbiage here, a, a, the wording here, that uh, was often used in reference to embers of a fire. Uh, the, the, the expression, stirring it up, uh, was obviously uh, something that was done in that day to get the embers that had grown cold or uh, had died down somewhat to, to liven them up. And I thought about that as I was reading through this. Uh, there are two things that stirring uh, embers of coal in a fire do. Number one, it helps the fire to grow. And secondly, it helps the fire to be more effective. Uh, it's, it's better at, at doing what it's intended to do, to produce heat and to produce light. And uh, when Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift, and he just spoke of the fact that it was his unfeigned faith, that was the gift that had been given to him. It was in his grandmother, uh, his, his mother Lois, his grandmother Eunice, and uh, had uh, that these are his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, excuse me, 
And uh, he says, I want you to stir that up. You need to stir up that gift that is in you, this gift that was given to you uh, of faith. In other words, what I believe Paul is trying to tell him here is, make sure your faith is growing. Make sure your faith is becoming more effective and stirring it up. That's stronger, it's brighter. Uh, If you'll remember in Ephesians, when it talks about the uh, Christian armor, it says, and take unto thee the shield of what? Faith. The shield of faith. And the idea that this shield uh, needs to needs to be uh, growing, this shield needs to be uh, brighter, stronger, more effective. And again, uh, Paul's charging Timothy: uh, Don't be timid. Don't let your faith be squelched. Don't let don't let the uh, false apostles and the the uh, people that are accusing you and people that are coming against you, the the demonic and, and devilish oppression that seems to be uh, coming against you uh, in serving. Don't let that cause your faith to dwindle. Don't shrink and shirk from that, but rather stir it up. Help it to grow. Help it to become more intense. Help it to become more powerful. This idea of the faith uh, that is so much needed. And then he tells us, he tells Timothy in chapter 1 and verse number 8, the second thing that he charges him to do. He says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now I find this to be true, that when my faith is strengthened, I become more bold for Christ. Have you ever noticed that in your life? It's when my faith is weak that I become more timid. And so I really think that these two things especially hinge one on the other. That the increasing of our faith, the growing of our faith, the stirring up, if you will, let's use Paul's terminology, the stirring up of that faith is vitally important to not being ashamed. And he tells him not to be ashamed of a couple of things. He says, first of all, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And so he tells him here not to be ashamed. Also in verse number 12 he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I what? I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And uh, the idea that there needs to be a boldness in our spiritual warfare. It is not time for us to be timid. It is not time... (laughs) Every once in a while, uh, I remember uh, back when I was a kid, uh, making sword fights and different things. And uh, and then as we got older, we graduated from sword... uh, from like foam swords and things to sticks. And then we started poking each other with sticks and... And then uh, as we got older, we began to do other things. And, and I remember as I grew up uh, and, and got, got to be preteen and teen years um, and was around some of my friends, every once in a while we would get into towel popping contests. You all know what those are where you, you pop the towel at somebody? And, um, and then they came out with these things. You could roll them up and they were, we called them rat tails. And they would not unravel. You had to ravel the towel and then pop them. And these you could fold in such a way that it was like a whip. You never had to re-roll it. You could just sit there and pop them. And I remember as, as, as I grew up, we were doing these, these competitions and different things, whether it was sword fighting when I was younger, whether it was uh, fighting with the sticks when we got older, or whether it was the towel popping, the tendency was when it hurt or when you got poked with it, you would back away from it. And I found out something to be true, that especially when it got into the towel popping competitions, that if I would be bold and step into it, that there was a lot, a lot less hurt from it, a lot less pain from it, and often it would cause them to back off. And, and I <coughs> used it as an illustration in this truth, 
because I believe that sometimes in the spiritual warfare, we become very timid when, when people attack the truth of God's Word. We're the first ones to kind of back away from that and not want to have a confrontation with it. Can I tell you this? We need to be bold in the faith. We need to know this book and be able to give a defense of it. And rather than back away from something that is not true, to be able to step into it and say, let me show you what the Bible says here. Be able to take the truth to them. To not have timidity. To not be ashamed of these things. <coughs> and that there be a boldness about us. Uh, he also tells him in verse number 8, number the third thing, stir up the gift, not be ashamed. He says here also in verse number 8, be a partaker, be a partaker of the afflictions. Look what he says here. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now hold your place here for a moment. Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and gain a little bit of light on what this is talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And um, let's look in verse number, we'll start in verse number 3. We're going to read down a little ways. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Where does God give the comfort? He gives it to us in our time of what? Tribulation, doesn't He? Now notice what else he says, that we can also be a comfort to them that are going through similar things here. For as the sufferings, verse 5, of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that uh, we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired. And I want you to notice this phrase. Paul was speaking here. That in so much that we despaired even of life. And if you want to understand the extent to which Paul was being oppressed at this point in time, it was to the point where he was literally ready to say, Lord, just take me home. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I've heard some people say that before. I don't know if they've ever been that way and meant it, but surely the Apostle Paul was there. <coughs> that these <coughs> oppressions were pressing him so greatly and it was it was it was taking his strength so much so that he says in so much that we despaired even of life but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in what in God which raiseth the dead who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us can i tell you this he tells timothy and timothy was certainly in these types of distresses with the church at Ephesus. He was certainly undergoing great persecution and attack. And he says that we need to, <coughs> we need to be partakers, uh, in verse number 8, of the afflictions of the gospel, but not in our own flesh, because Paul told, him, told the Corinthian church that that was useless. He said our consolation was from where? Our consolation was from God, wasn't it? So when he tells Timothy here to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, he says this, according to the power of God. 
There is a great grace that God gives to those that suffer persecution. Now, the persecution is not pleasant. The affliction is not something we enjoy. But it is something that we can withstand. It is something in which we can continue to be faithful in the face of it. Because God is the one that brings the consolation. And what a consolation it is. I remember going through a very, very dark time in my life. Very dark time in my life. And I was driving down U.S. Highway 1 down in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And I, I remember as I was going over things and, and I was just talking. There was nobody else in the car with me. And, and you ever just talk to the Lord just like He's right there in the seat next to you? Because He is. I mean, He's right here with us. And I'm driving down U.S. Highway 1 about 55 miles an hour or so. At least I'm going to say that because it was a speed limit. So, um, And I'm going down the road. And I said, I said Lord, I need some help. I said, I, I don't know where else to go. I, I, I see no light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I'm crying. Tears are coming down my face. And I said, I need some relief. And a verse of Scripture came to mind. And isn't it amazing how God oftentimes does that? It was from Psalm 23, and all that came to my mind was, He restoreth my soul. And I thought, wow, what a truth. Here's the psalmist writing, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. He's talking about all these great promises. But David was going through some of the deepest and darkest troubles of his own life. As he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And I don't know if you've ever been to that point where Paul was, where he said, uh, we were even tired of, of life itself. We were just ready for the Lord to take us on home. But God was our consolation. We have a battle to fight. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's going to be times we're going to look at it and we're going to say, Lord, this isn't what I signed up for. Paul's telling Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, you need to be a partaker of those afflictions according to the power of God. Let God be your consolation. Let Him be your strength. Let Him restore your soul. The, the fourth thing that he tells us here is in chapter 1 and verse number 13. <clears throat> he charges Timothy, he says this, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And he's talking here about uh, words of doctrine, instruction that uh, Paul had, in, had invested in Timothy that he would hold fast to sound words. It's, it's interesting that even in uh, military uh, times, they teach you to obey orders. And you are not to question those orders. Uh, back in one of the great wars of Prussia, uh, a number of years ago, there was a man that was manning a turret at a, at a wall of a fort that overlooked a river. And on the other side of the river, there were uh, buildings and houses over there. And a general came by and was seeing this young man that was manning uh, the gun. And he uh, told him, he said, I, I've gotten intelligence that that building right over there is housing a group of the enemy. He said, I want you to send a shell over there. And the young man began to weep and tears rolled down his eyes as he turned his gun and he shot on that building and destroyed that building. 
The general saw him weeping. He said, Sir, what's wrong? The young man turned and looked at him. He said, Sir, that was my house. Everything I owned was inside of there. All of my life was in there. But he had never questioned his orders. Why? Because they were given by the commander. Can I tell you this? You and I don't have a commander that makes mistakes. We have a commander that is, in, that is perfect in every way. That has given us a book of commands. He's given us sound words. He's given us words to follow. And he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, hold fast to those words. You're going to be a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when, the, when, when God says it, then just say, yes, sir, and do it. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. We're living in a day where so many people are taking this book and throwing it off to the side and saying it's unimportant to our lives. It's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not effective in the day that we live. It's not relevant. Relevant's a big word that he use now. This book's just not relevant to today. Okay, can I tell you this? This book is eternal. And it's relevant for every day. And it has the answers to life. And it gives us sound words that we are to hold fast on. Number five, he tells Timothy in verse number 14, notice he says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. That good thing that was given unto you, keep it. You and I have been given a great heritage. We've been given a great Scripture. We've been given a great liberty to preach the Gospel. The things that we have been given to propagate the work of God, we need to keep. We need to hold fast to them. We need to not let them slip. We need to defend them with all that we have. We're living in a day where those, those privileges, those things that we have been given are being attacked and being eroded out from under us, and we need to hold fast to them. There may and will probably in our lifetime come a day if God will continue to, to linger as He's ready to come, I believe, at any moment. <clears throat> but if He continues to linger and, and tarry His coming, I believe the day will come very nearly in the very near future where you and I are going to have to make a choice to obey this book or to obey, obey civil authority. I hope it doesn't come to that, but there may come a time. And when that day comes, what are we going to hold to? What are we going to hold to? Then he goes into chapter 2, verse number 1. He says this charge, and this is the fifth thing that he charges a uh, sixth thing, I'm sorry, they charges Timothy at. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong. <laughs> be strong. Be strong. I, if we were to say it in the day that we, we say it today, if a father was saying something like this to a son, he'd probably be like, Son, be a man. Be strong. Put some grit in your crawl. Be tough. Um, I, I still, Brother Harold Wednesday night, I think it was, we were talking after church. When Jonathan was born, now I had two two girls first, and then I had Jonathan. And uh, my girls, I mean, if they if they whimpered, I was at their side trying to figure out what's wrong and trying to help them through it. You know, I wanted to make sure that I protected those girls at all costs. But when my son came along, he uh, he was only a few months old and was just getting to where he could barely sit up and and roll over. 
And I remember him trying to sit up one day, and we had wood floors in our house, and he, uh, you know how little ones are when they're that age, they're unbalanced, and he fell, and he landed back, and he bumped his head, and he started to whimper a little bit, and my wife shot up out of her chair and started to go toward him. I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, he just fell. I said, he's fine. Now, if that had been one of my daughters, I'd have been the one over there at him. But I told her, and she looked at me like I was a crazy man, and I said, Rose, I don't want to, to raise a boy that is a, a, a sissy, a, a wimp. I want to raise a young man that can toughen up and, and can have some, uh, learn how to deal with some things. Now, he wasn't injured. He was startled. And I wanted him to learn that when things like that happen, as a man, you've got to deal with it because you're not going to always have somebody come rushing to your aid. As a man, you're the one that is to go rushing to the aid of those that have those problems. I remember as he got up a little older and he was a toddler, and this is what I was telling Brother Harold the other day, I'd built our house and we had a large living room and he took off running. He was probably about two and a half, maybe three years old. And he took off running across the living room. And I mean, he was going full hilt, I mean, as fast as those legs would pump. And, and just as he was coming to a corner of a wall, he tripped and he launched horizontal like this. And right there, the, the center part of his forehead right there caught the corner of that wall dead straight. And it had a corner bead on it, a metal corner bead on it. And he put a big dent, looked like somebody took a fist and dented the corner of our wall in. And he fell to the ground and, and he looked stunned and he looked over at his mom and he started to cry. And she started to move toward him again. And I said, well, wait a minute. Leave him be. Let's see what he does. And he looked at her and he cried for a second. Then he saw she wasn't coming. He put a big smile on his face, jumped up, dusted himself off and went off running to play again. We laugh, and I don't want you to miss the point because of the illustration, because that's a cute illustration, but folks, understand this. In the Christian life, we need to learn to be strong. People are going to criticize. People are going to hurt your feelings sometimes. It doesn't mean you say, I don't want any part of this, Lord. That's not what I signed up for. No, be strong. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep on going. That, that wall, we, we didn't repair that wall. I left that wall like that till the day we moved out of the house. It was still there. Jonathan, I think at that point, was about maybe eight years old, nine years old. I served. I pointed to that, that hole in the wall numbers of times with Jonathan. I wanted him to know and to remember, be a man. Be strong. Folks, I, I'm not saying that we, we do it to the, the point of injuring somebody, but I'm telling you, when it comes to the Christian life, we have, we have become so weak in standing even when we're being opposed, even when we're being persecuted, even when we're being attacked and people hurt our feelings. Can I tell you this? If words are all it takes to stop us, we will never stand in the day of real persecution. Be strong. Paul tells Timothy, be strong. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Number seven. In verse number 3 of chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure it. That means you don't just, you don't just let it happen and then, and then respond and react to it immediately. You endure it. You, 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 take, you, take, you take it and you go on. A number of years, I've shared this illustration before, but a number of years ago in our War for Independence, there was a fellow by the name of Francis Marion. He's more commonly known to the history books as the Swamp Fox. Some of you may have read about him in high school. 
Francis Marion had captured some of the English uh, 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 soldiers as prisoners of war, and some of his own men had been captured by some of the British as prisoners of war, and he arranged a prisoner exchange with one of the, ca- uh, the captains of a ship out in the harbor. And he blindfolded the captain, brought him to his camp, and they uh, there discussed the prisoner exchange, and they came to agreeable, agreeable terms to exchange their prisoners. And being a gentleman, uh, Francis Marion asked this commander, he said, would you grace me by uh, having supper with me tonight? You're a fellow Englishman, even though I'm fighting and I'm your enemy on this thing of independence. Um, we're, we're brethren as far as uh, heritage and everything. He said, would you uh, honor me with your presence at dinner tonight? And the commander, wanting to be gracious, accepted. And Francis Marion had the best that the camp had to offer, which were two wild potatoes they had found growing out in the field. He roasted them in the embers of the fire. They had no butter. They had no spices or herbs or anything for them. Any of you that have tried to eat a roasted potato by itself with nothing on it know how dry and starchy that is in the mouth. And uh, Francis Marion is eating, and the commander is eating his potato, and he gets about halfway through the potato, and the commander lays it down, and he apologizes to Francis Marion. He said, Sir, I can't, I can't eat this. He said, It's just too dry. I, I just, I can't, my palate won't take it. I can't do this. He made a comment to Francis Marion. He said, You must pay your men an awful lot to get them to fight the way they do. He said, Our men on the ship are at half rations, and we have daily men who are deserting. And they eat better than this. Francis Marion said, Sir, we don't pay them anything. The commander was puzzled. He said, How then do you get your men to fight the way they do and be faithful to the cause? And Francis Marion made this statement. I'll never forget reading it. He said, It is the heart that is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. Paul told Timothy, Endure hardness. Do we care enough about the cause? To endure hardness? Are we interested enough that we are willing to do or suffer anything in order to endure the hardness of preaching the gospel? It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a bed of roses. There are going to be people that are going to come against you. Satan is going to attack your ministry, your testimony, your name. Endure hardness. Paul tells Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who chosen him to be a soldier. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. The next one he tells them is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2.15, a verse that you can probably quote. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. You know who the greatest soldiers are in the military? Those that give themselves to studying warfare. To be the best at what they do. There are men that strive, that sacrifice, that give up hours of their life and time to be able to train and to study and to become the very best at what they do. And it amazes me how much men are willing to pay for the cost for becoming best at something that does not mean anything in light of eternity. And how little men are willing to study 
and pay the price to become the best that they can possibly be on matters of eternity? Do we study? Do we spend time devouring this book, feasting upon this book, learning from this book? Do we spend time finding what it is that God instructs us in? The things He tells us we're to do, the things He tells us we're not to do? The truth, the truth is that if we look back in Ephesians at the equipment of the Christian soldier, not only was there the shield of faith, but the Bible says that there was the sword of the what? Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offensive weapon you and I have is this book. And yet so often we are guilty of giving so little time to becoming proficient with it. When David went to face Goliath, Saul put his armor on him and David said, I cannot use this armor. I have not yet proved it. I'm not proficient with it. I don't, know, I don't know how it works. I don't know how to use it. It's bulky. It's cumbersome to me. Oh, that it would not be said of you and I when it comes to the service of the Lord and the handling of the Word of God that we cannot use it because we have not yet proved it. We have not become proficient with it yet. We've not learned it well yet. Paul charges Timothy, be strong, endure hardness, Study to show thyself approved. And lastly, he tells him in chapter 4 and verse number 15. Chapter 4, verse number 15. I'm going to look at verse 14 so it makes sense. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also. For he hath greatly withstood our words. He told Timothy, be aware. Beware of these things. Beware of your enemy. Notice he does not say, befriend the enemy. We're living in a day where men are standing behind pulpits and teaching their people that in order to win them, you have to be like them. The Bible nowhere tells us to involve ourselves in the things of our enemies. He doesn't tell him to come and befriend the enemy. He tells him to beware of the enemy. He doesn't tell him to underestimate the enemy. He tells him to beware of the enemy. And how often we underestimate the shrewdness, the the volatility, the hatred that the devil has for God's work. How he is out as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Not, Not hurt, not harm, but destroy, to devour us. Don't underestimate. He tells him to beware. He tells him to make sure that we don't ignore the enemy. We're not to befriend Him. We're not to underestimate Him. We're not to ignore Him. Folks, it is a very real battle that we are in every single day. And yet we live so many days ignoring the fact. We need to beware. Don't befriend. Don't underestimate. Don't ignore. And don't get distracted by other things that we lose track of the enemy. We lose track of the battle. Paul tells him in chapter 4 and verse number 15, he warns him against the one that had greatly withstood his words. He said, This man has done me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, 
of whom be thou aware also. The Bible tells us, and Paul said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So often in our life, we walk about blinded because we are distracted by the affairs of this life. We are blinded to the enemy's working. We have perhaps ignored the enemy was working. We perhaps have even gone so far as to befriend, but certainly we have underestimated him. And Paul tells Timothy, beware of him also. Beware of him also. Nine charges that Paul tells Timothy regarding being a good soldier. We're involved in a great warfare, folks. We would do well to give heed to the charges that Paul gave to Timothy. We've got a battle to fight each and every day. I hope that will be helpful to you. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful once again for the privilege to meet together, to be able to hear Your Word preached. I pray that You'd help it to be beneficial and profitable to us. May we not quickly forget. May we meditate upon it throughout this day.